Hello and welcome to Network, the show where we teach pastors how to cast the net of the gospel. I'm Scott Smith, consultant in evangelism ministries at the Georgia Baptist Convention. Welcome to the show. We're excited that you're back. I tell you, we're really excited today because uh, we're kind of getting the band back together. <laughs> We've got in the studio today uh, our uh, the guy who was the specialist here in our department until last year, that's 2014, Joel Sutherland. Joel, good to have you back. Hey, thanks, Scott. I'm thrilled to be back in the chair. Yes, in the chair. And uh, you've moved on to uh, the North American Mission Board right. and left a lot of us curious. You know, when we've gone around the state, we've tried to tell a little bit about what happened to Joel. But uh, tell us what you've transitioned into, maybe your title over there and what you're doing over sure, there. Sure, sure. I am um, – the official title is Executive Director of Evangelism Strategy, uh, which – uh, I was brought on board at NAM to do a couple things that were already in place. One was to handle certain networks or, that are national networks. Uh, for example, Scott, you know every state has a, a state director of evangelism, and there are 43 the, of those around the nation, and that's one of my networks that I maintain. Mm-hmm. And um, and when you know when I say maintain, I mean just keep a good relationship with with the North American Mission Board, and uh, we do things like um, I have a monthly SDOE collaborative phone call where we all have a special guest and and we, we get together and discuss things and there's some other networks that go with that the seminary professors of evangelism is a network i try to stay uh, connected to and involved with uh, so i do that uh, also i'm responsible for crossover at the southern baptist convention oh yeah so um crossovers changed in recent years and it used to be what where um uh, reams of people just descended upon the city, and it's not that way as much anymore as we try to work with local leadership and let them kind of craft crossover the way they'd like for it to look for, not for uh, immediate eff- effectiveness, but for maximum and long-term effectiveness. And so uh, that's kind of what we're doing with crossover now, and that falls under under me as well. Um, and, and by the way, if there are any churches that want to go to crossover, yeah, yeah. Uh, they can go to nam.net slash crossover they'll start getting the information there they can see things to sign up for that's a free plug for that because we'd love to have uh people involved in crossover we need about three thousand volunteers wow uh, for crossover and and there right now as of today i think there are 58 churches in the columbus area mm-hmm. that are signed up that number will probably will rise to about 70 to 80 and um, so we're looking for big things that are crossover. That's my responsibility. And then uh, evangelism resources falls under me. Um, so if a lot, of, a lot of the churches I know have used the Three Circles Life Conversation Guide, um, we have printed and distributed about a million of those so far. Uh, there have been about 30,000 app downloads so far on the Three Circles Life Conversation Guide. And uh, we're recording. I know everybody won't hear this in March, but we're recording it in March 2015. And so I'm, I'm, I only want to put the timestamp on there so they understand. We now have it available. We now have it printed in Spanish, which is a big deal. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's not available quite yet. Uh, we're still building the other pieces. Uh, and translation is a little more difficult. We we just I just flew a guy in from uh, Florida who's a Spanish pastor in a church, and he did some training videos mm-hmm. uh, for that. And so he came in, shot those videos for us. He's already leading people to Christ using three circles wow. uh, in his church. And so uh, once we get all the pieces together, then um, uh, we'll be we'll be giving Spanish away for six months uh, after that to use as guides, not as tracks, but as guides. Right. Uh, so we, we basically want to give out about a number equal to your church in worship. So, so that falls under me and any other evangelism resources are mine. And then finally, the big piece of the puzzle is uh, a local church evangelism strategy. And so I was, uh, one of the, 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 the big, I say big project and I'm almost <laughs> smiling at myself because when I say what I just said, all that sounds like a lot of stuff, but uh, the one I'm, I'm probably have most passion about is the local church evangelism strategy. And so, um, I'm, I'm really the only guy in the building that works specifically on a total evangelism church strategy for yeah. the local church. Yeah. And, and I could venture to say that a lot of what you had done around that in Georgia, which we're now promoting 6E strategy at 6ZStrategy.com. That's what we train on in the associations and, and local regions. Uh, you know, you're a big part of that. That's kind of what got Nam's attention in a, in a lot of ways. Am, am I? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, Al Gilbert tells this story. He was taking all the SDOEs to lunch around the nation and just going into their office and meeting them. Kevin and Al uh, uh, heard some of the things we were doing and, right. and just, 
I, I, I'd spent some time with Kevin in the airport one time and then Al in different places. Kevin Ezell. Ezell, right. Yeah. Kevin Ezell, sorry. Head of NAM, yeah. Yeah, and just so some of that came together mm-hmm. and, and where they began asking me about coming over and doing, kind of taking the same idea and doing it at a national level. And that was not an easy decision because I love Dr. White and Georgia Baptist, but yes. just felt like it gave me the opportunity to do a national uh, um to get a national picture and to make a national difference. Well, yeah, way. yeah, and it's needed. There's no question, and we feel very good about kind of being the guinea pigs around that in Georgia <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, but uh, as we're trying to continue actually to engage pastors around that. Well, you, you hit the ground running when you went to NAM and you, you started uh, 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 some research. Right. And so that involved the survey that's been a big part of what you've been doing over there, and, and that's been a, a done. T- tell me a, a little bit more about the survey. Okay. So, so what I'm passionate about, it, one of the things I fought is, and you know that when I was here, was is the box. You know, in Southern Baptist life, we have this tendency to want to take what's working, put it in a box, and we almost ignore the context of it. And 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 so we want to we want to commoditize it and sell it in Lifeway. Mm-hmm. And but the, we don't pay attention to the context a lot of times. And so all those things have a pun intended, a shelf life to them, mm-hmm. that they, they'll get a lot of steam for a little while. And because they don't fit every context, they they really kind of blow up in the context they fit. And then people whose context it doesn't fit, it, it, they try it. And, it ebbs, and, you know, it's just, it was a real rapid bell curve on most of those things we did. And so I didn't want a box, but but here, here's what I know, Scott. Um, I'm passionate about connecting the churches that are doing it well today to the churches who want to do it well today. Hmm. So instead of us sitting in a room and and saying, here's what you ought to do, let's look at what is being done and let's not judge it on whether it's right or wrong or indifferent. What can we extrapolate from those who are doing it well to get to those who want to do it well hmm. uh, without putting it in a box? And so – the state of baptisms in the United States is in bad shape. Uh, we, last year, 2013, we don't have 14 numbers yet, but in 2013, we baptized about 310,000 people, which is the lowest number since 1948. Um, it's over a, it's well down over a hundred thousand from our peak. Uh, and I don't remember exactly when that peak was. It was probably the seventies. Uh, and it, it peaked several times, several times over, Maybe four hundred twenty thousand. Um, if you if you look at the what we call the normative church, the normative church in every region in the United States is very similar. Um, we have we divide the United States up into three regions: the South, the Northeast, the Midwest, and the West. Of course, the South has a little bit larger worship size. I think the normative church in the South has about seventy-two people in worship on Sunday mornings. In the Midwest, it's fifty-four. In the West, it's sixty. In the Northeast, I think it may be fifty-eight uh, in worship. So those are it's not a huge difference. The lowest number is fifty-four. The highest number is seventy-two. But you have to understand, we have thirty-six hundred churches in Georgia. So we have a higher sampling than, say, California, which has about a thousand reporting churches, but yet they have thirty-eight million people in the state. Oof. I just came back from Los Angeles. Los Angeles has eighteen million people in in the metroplex. That's more than every state except for Texas, New York, and maybe Florida. I'm not sure about Florida, but so Los wow. Angeles itself has more people than all but three states. Good gracious. So yeah. so but they only have a thousand reporting churches in, mm-hmm. in, in California total. And so uh so the normative church is basically the same. The normative church in America had a median of three baptisms last year. May not sound that may, number may not resonate well, but it's down from five baptisms in 2005. Uh, so in 2005, the median was five. In 2013, it was three. That is a significant decline. If you take uh, over 46,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, you multiply it by those two baptisms, you get the 100,000 drop in baptisms, basically. Um, mm-hmm. the, the normative church baptized zero uh, last year. And then um, uh, zero teenagers, excuse me. My mind went sideways on me there, but baptized zero teenagers. And then um, one young adult. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of where we are in baptism. But that's the normative church. If you take the top baptizing churches, listen to this. 
In the south, they average 114 baptisms. In the in the northeast, they average 31. In the Midwest, 37. In the west, 52. Well, that is an enormous yeah. difference. But forget the South. Yeah, that's an enormous difference between 31 in the Northeast and three. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's the difference? What's in that gap? Why why does the normative church reach three, and and why does the top baptizing churches in the Northeast reach 31? I mean, Northeast is a very difficult place to do sure. ministry. So I wanted to see what was in the gap. Mm-hmm. So I, what I did was we divided the churches up into three size categories, zero to 250, uh, 250 to 500, and 500 and above. So I didn't just do a mega church study. Uh, we looked at the 20 top evangelistic churches in every state. Now, not every state had three size categories. For example, Wyoming only has two churches that run over 250. Wyoming only has 102 churches in the entire state. Wow. Um, so, uh, so we... So I said, well, let's look. If there are three size categories, let's look at three. If there's two, we'll just look at two. So just so you understand that part. And I said, so listen, let's look at the top 20 baptizing churches in every state, top evangelistic churches. We looked at two metrics. One was just raw, gross baptism numbers. And the second one was baptisms per person in worship. So the church running 50 and baptizing 10 would have made my top baptizing list uh, in people. So, so I took those 1,000 churches. I took um, the 100 fastest-growing Southern Baptist churches and ignored baptisms, but just 100 fastest-growing. Generally, there was much crossover between those lists. It, there was, it, was, it was very, very rare that one was on the fastest-growing that was not on the top baptizing list. And then I took the top 100 evangelistic churches over the last five years cumulative. Okay. Be, because I understood there could have been a church that had a really good year last year, and it's the first time they've ever been on the list. Or there could have been a really, really good church that had a bad year last year. But the previous four years were awesome, and they wouldn't have made my list. So I, I, I wound up just rough numbers, about 1,200 churches. And I sent them about a 100-question survey and said, um, answer these questions. Now, I want to stop here. and at, hmm. you know, I'm not talking a lot, but you can stop me. Um, I wanted evergreen principles, principles that were true regardless of time, technology, culture, or context. They differ from a best practice slightly in that best practices are informed by the context they're in. So a best practice will often have context wrapped around it. An evergreen principle, we, we try to get out of the context realm. That makes sense. Okay. It's, it's a little more difficult to do than you think. And some of the things we mm-hmm. came up with – still have some best practices flavor to them because the the research is so raw, it's really hard to – I'm still trying to distill that down. Can you give us an example of a question you would not have asked on this survey that because it's too – it's too best practice? Yeah, what we tried to stay away from was any kind of name brand question. Now, um, I did ask one name brand question in the survey, and – what do you use to train your church in evangelism and outreach? Uh, and so I asked, I listed about 15 things and then maybe mm-hmm. 10 things and then asked them, then I gave them a text box, just type in. Um, but I was more interested in, do you do evangelism training? Not what do you do? But gotcha. I thought, well, while I've got them, let me ask. And and so I did. And the question didn't help me at all. Okay. Okay. Uh, because it was all over the map. But the question, do you do evangelism training? Is an evergreen question. Right. Maybe what you use is more of a best practice question. Okay, excellent. Anything with a name brand attached to it is going to be more of a best practice question. Yeah, that's a great distinction. Okay. Uh, so, so we wanted to do um, principles that you could contextualize for yourself, just much like you do with the 6E training here, where, where you say um, uh, top, one of the six things you can do in evangelism is pray for the lost by name. Now figure it out. We're telling you what you need to be doing. You work it out in your own context, right? Right. If you give too many ways to do it, those become best practices. Pray for the lost by name is more of an evergreen exactly. strategy. Yeah. So Great. so that's what we did. Okay. Okay. So so uh, now you conducted the survey when, actually? When was it? Uh, it was going on. It, well, it's still going on. There are some churches that uh, I just sent the survey to this uh, week, as a matter of fact, oddly. But we, we mainly did at the end of last 2014. Okay. 
So to date, we've had almost 500 churches respond, mm-hmm. uh, which is more than enough. Uh, and what I mean by that is after about 150, the, the data didn't change very much. Okay. The data was pretty much locked in after about 150 responses. All right. So, all right, let's dive into results. I mean, uh, I heard you speak at the uh, Georgia Baptist Evangelist Retreat, which is now, it used to be COGB, Conference of Georgia Baptist Evangelists. Now it's the Georgia Baptist Evangelists. Right, GBE. GBE, Uh and so you spoke there, and man, I was just lighting up, and you were rattling off this stuff. It's incredible, the insight. Let's talk about some of the results that rose to the top. Okay, well, the the most important one is the one I always lead with, and that is what we discovered about the top evangelistic churches is is it has a lot to do with the leadership of the pastor. Hmm. Now, I know know pastors listening to this would, would just immediately say, well, hey, that's not rocket science, but but stay with me for just a moment. If you ask the average pastor why their church is not evangelistic, I say you, I always get one of the three C's, congregation, culture, or context. And so they'll say, um, uh, hmm. you, you know, my congregation is not evangelistic. No, no one's congregation is evangelistic. I mean, honestly, there is no congregation that's evangelistic. Um, and, and so if you ask the congregation why they're not evangelistic, guess who they blame? The pastor. The pastor. Every time. Yep. Every time. So what I say is someone has to own the issue, and my challenge is for the pastor to own the issue, not his congregation. So I don't ever like for a pastor to say, well, I wish my church were more evangelistic. Lead them to be more evangelistic. That's your job. Wow. That's your calling. Wow. Uh, So they'll say congregation. Number two, they'll say uh, culture. You know, our culture is not receptive to the gospel. I, I just fight that. Um uh, a light shines brightest in the darkness. Our culture is not near as bad as what Paul's was. Uh, again, we're being threat with the, threatened with the loss of a tax shelter. They were having their heads chopped off for the gospel. Yeah. You know, so, and I know that's going on in other parts of the country, but we're talking about America right, right now. Right. Uh, and then number three, they'll say it's their context. Well, they have a unique context. Well, here's the truth. There are really no unique context. Um, there's someone like you. There's 50,000 of us. You have a replicate somewhere else in a very similar context. The fact is I cannot paint a portrait of a of – a, I can't give you a picture of a typical evangelistic church, but I can paint a very good picture of a typical evangelistic pastor. Hmm. Really? Yes. Yeah. So I find evangelistic churches in all contexts. I ask the question, what, you know, what, what kind of environment are you in? Urban, suburban, rural, ultra-rural, metro – all over the map, literally all over the map. There's top evangelistic churches in every context you can imagine. The pastors are what's similar to one another. Wow, wow. So what we discovered about the pastor's leadership is we even delved into leadership styles. And the two that rose to the top were charismatic leadership and transformational leadership. Now, I don't have to describe charismatic leadership. We Most of us, if we can't define charisma, we, we – we know it when we see it, you know. Yeah, you're not. So you're not talking about charismatic doctrine. You're not charismatic doctrine. Ca- ca- charisma. Charisma leadership. Yep. Charismatic leadership. Yep. And transformational leadership. Transformational leadership, I defined as expects the team to transform even when it's uncomfortable. Counts on everyone giving their best. Serves as a role model for everyone in the church. Here's what's interesting about those. Those two rows at the top, um, and they're the motivational leadership sets. They're the two that motivate people to move forward. Hmm. And more than 50% of the pastors said they were those two, charismatic or transformational. And the reason that's important and a pastor needs to hear that is if you're going to have an evangelistic church, it will be in direct proportion to your ability to motivate and influence your congregation to be evangelistic. So you have to learn as a pastor some degree of motivational leadership hmm. to get your church to be evangelistic. If they don't like you, they will not follow you. Now, I know we have pastors who say, well, I'm not here to be liked. You know, Scott can see me shaking my head. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm shaking it. I understand that, but if your church doesn't like you, you have problems. Right, right. You have problems. People just don't follow people they don't like. They don't. They just don't. It's human nature. We can talk about what should be, what could be, what might be. The fact is they need to like you. So here's what was surprising, Scott, and, and really you 
probably could talk about this. Of the, of, I gave them 10 or 12 uh, leadership styles. Here's what these two beat out. Innovative leadership. Uh-huh. See, we tend to think that the top baptizing churches are the most innovative churches. It is just not so. Yeah, there is a there is a subconscious assumption that well, if that church is growing, they've done something that's innovative. They've done something yes. out of the box yes. to make that yes. happen. And, and here's the truth. Um I'm not saying they're not innovative, but they use their their leadership style to uncover innovation a lot of times within the church. Uh-huh. But they're not leading out with innovation. They're not trying to be, um, and of course there are always some exceptions to the rule, but but in general, they're not trying to follow every whim of societal change, cultural change. I'm not saying they're not relevant up to date. I'm just saying they just don't jump on every new bandwagon because usually they have invested so many resources in something that was maybe innovative five years ago. Mm-hmm. They're still riding what was innovative five years ago, and it's working so well uh, to use a phrase you and I like to use sometimes, they found a lane and they stuck in it. They yeah. stayed in it, you know. Right. It beat out servant leadership. Wow. Which, the only reason that's surprising is the way pastors take surveys is they look for the most spiritual answer and they check it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just true. It's true, yeah. And, and so servant leadership was the most spiritual answer, but it was nowhere near the top. It beat out command and control leadership. That's military. That's football a lot of times. And, and others. Charismatic transformational leadership. Hmm. And so um, what what I tell pastors is don't be offended by what I'm about to say, but you need to learn charismatic leadership. And I always put them to a book. If you only read Christian's books, do not read this book. It's not a Christian book. But it's a book by the uh, a lady named Olivia Fox Cabane, C-A-B-A-N-E, and it's called The Charisma Myth. And in it she says charisma is a learned trait. There are things you can do to be more charismatic uh, and the more charismatic you are, the more you influence people. It's the difference between walking into the room, as John Maxwell said, and saying, here I am, versus walking into the room and saying, there you are. Yes. Uh, a a yes. charismatic leader says, there you are. Right. And she talks about some of those things you can do to build charisma into your leadership style. And uh, it's an excellent book. Again, it's not a Christian book at all. Yeah, I had a great conversation with somebody who's an interim in, in, in Georgia right now at a large church just without a pastor. And and he has that kind of leadership. He he walks slowly among the crowd, right. as we say, as John right. Maxwell has said. Uh, he shakes hands. He gets to know people. He he's more about you know, like I said, like you just said, it's hey, there you are instead of here I am. Mm-hmm. And he's getting phone calls and emails because that's very that's a big contrast to the previous leadership sure. that was there. And they're like, man, you're such a breath of fresh air, man. What a blessing you mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's br- that style is breathing life into a large congregation where they had been somewhat devoid of that. It, and it puts change in your pocket from the outset. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, I know some pastors of churches running 200, 400, 600, get up in the pulpit and say, uh, you know, just so you know, I don't visit hospitals, and I don't. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, and the reason I say that is, and I understand Johnny Hunt can't make every hospital visit in his church, running right. you know eight thousand people on Sunday mornings. But if you run eight hundred, you can make a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, that puts change in your pocket. It builds charisma for you uh, with that person, at least. It allows you to engage the people and move them. Another book they might want to read is John Maxwell wrote the book, uh, 25 Ways to Win with People. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a great book just to pick up. And I used to keep the index taped, a photographed copy of the index taped on my desk when I was a pastor. And I would try every day to do one of those 25 things with some people in the church. That's great. Yeah. Just to um, influence. So the leadership style. Here's some other things we found, Scott. Uh, the average pastor at a top evangelistic church had been at their church over 10 years. Wow. So okay. it, it kind of very, 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 very few respondents had been there less than 10 years. Um, so it, it lets you know there are not a lot of overnight successes when it comes to evangelism. There's a lot of groundwork that has to be done. 90% of the churches were pastor and or staff-led churches. 90%. So no fast-growing, congregationally-led. Uh, none. 
As a matter of fact, I guarantee if you put those two things together, that it was zero. No fast-growing deacon-led. No, or even committee-led churches. Okay. It's going to be pastor, staff-led churches. Okay. And that's transitional for – and by the way, this included small churches. So Really? Yeah. So don't 90% of every size church – we're pastor staff led, staff led. Okay, so even in the zero two fifty, yes, zero to two fifty. Yes, so so that tells you something. You don't get that the first year you're there, right? That's a process in becoming because almost no church you run to that runs a hundred is a pastor staff led church at a hundred. So it takes several years to number one get the paperwork right. If you're going to a church of 100, the paperwork's probably against you. The bylaws are probably against you being a pastor staff at church. So you've got to start making some of those changes almost behind the scenes uh, mm-hmm. so that you can officially be a pastor. Then you have to assume the leadership of it. And that's what I always encourage pastors to do is what I did. I walk in assuming I'm the leader. Somebody's going to have to tell me I'm not. Okay. So that gives you a lot of um, leadership credibility when you're when you're there. If I just assume I'm the guy in charge. Now, I came out of the business world, so if you had the title, you had the swag to go with it. Right. That doesn't work in the church world, but you you do have to assume the mantle of leadership. and Don't wait for anybody to get it to you. And while you're assuming it, um, then work on the paperwork and the committees and the things behind the scene to get it so that it all syncs together. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'll give you a story here. I know we, we're running short on time, but go uh, right ahead. Uh, when I went to my last church, this committee told me, "Hey, we've got a um, we've got a budget finance committee that's taken over the church during the interim period. It's just way out of control. There's several several successful business people, millionaires on the budget finance committee, and they'd been dictating ministry. They had literally been marking through lines that the staff was submitting." and saying, we don't want you doing that. And they had been writing in what they wanted the staff to do. Wow. And so the past search committee said, you know, we, we can't get them in control. We've lost control of them. And we just need you to know before you accept this church, you have a problem here. <laughs> and I said, hey, no more thanks for the heads up. And by the way, when I took the church, they were in the middle of uh, – budget finance committee meetings i was about it, to say a fight it was october <laughs> and the budget had to be finished by the middle of november wow okay so i took the church started walked into the budget first budget and finance committee meeting and just assumed i was the leader and no one would dare say i wasn't so i walked in i said hey guys we're here i just want you to know what your job is the, as a budget finance committee i don't know what you've been doing i don't know you know how it operates, but here's how it'll operate while I'm here. You are here to fund the ministry God places on the hearts of the staff he has led to serve here. So, um, uh, you know, we don't dictate to them what they do. We find ways to finance what God has told them to do. If they're doing something I don't think they should do, they'll answer to me, and I'll deal with that appropriately. But until that time, if I bring it to you and say that's a good plan, then, hey, I just need you to find the money for it. That's all I need you to do. And they sit and stared at me like, um, <laughs> like, well, who is he? And, and so I said, let's get started. And I prayed and I cast vision about we're going to make a worldwide kingdom difference at this church. I mean, I, I cast I, if right. we met for an hour for thirty five minutes, I assumed the leadership and cast vision. Never had a problem with the committee whatsoever. For is that, that right? Wow! Just because I didn't ask for permission. Now, now that doesn't always work. Sure, but sure. That mindset in a humble way, because I did it very humbly. I did yeah. not walk in and say, hey, I'm the big dog on campus. I just walked in. And, uh, had they had they reacted indifferently, I would have been, I would have pulled the shot. What? I'm not? Yeah. Oh, my. I thought, I'm sorry. I thought yeah. I was supposed to lead this committee. <laughs> you know, uh, I would have made it. Well, and, and another thing, too, is you, you said you cast vision every time. And, and here's yeah. the thing. If you fight the guy with the vision, you better have a good alternative. Uh, a better, that's a great point. And that's most of the point. time, they don't. And so that's where a lot of pastors get in trouble with the leadership is they're trying to make move a church somewhere that the church doesn't know where it's going. Mm. And uh, you and I heard the other day at a conference we just happened to be at together, yep. the fastest growing church in America, which is not a Baptist church, he said, I cast vision every single time I get a microphone, whether it's you know making announcements or preaching a sermon. I work the vision in somewhere along the way. Right. The church knows where it's going right. in that process. Oh, that's so good. Well, and even along that, here's what we discovered. 70% of pastors preach a sermon series on evangelism every year. A series. A series, not a sermon. 90% share the gospel outside the church at least once per month. 
95% said the pastor is a strong leader. Wait, 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 back up. So 90% of the pastors say they personally share, share the gospel outside okay. the church context at least once per month. So the pastors are soul winners. That's right. Uh, 95% said the pastor is a strong leader. 78% have an intentional evangelism strategy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which means I can say to you, Pastor Scott, what are you doing this year in evangelism? And they will answer me with pen and paper in a calendar. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So and we've been saying that here for a long time. So right, it's, have that. it goes back. So really, Scott, when I'm teaching this around the nation, I stop and say, hey, there are only six things you can do in evangelism. <laughs> and here's right. what they are. And they're the six E strategies. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, right. So, so, you know, if you can come up with a seventh, God bless you. Just put it on the calendar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just need to have that strategy lined out to where you're, uh, you know, putting on the calendar. Now, I'm guessing, but let's say the other, you know, what it would it be, 22% that mm-hmm. would say we don't have an evangelism strategy, but we're still a fast-growing church. Several dynamics could be going on there. One of them would be he's almost like the evangelism Tasmanian devil. He's got no... Strategy, right. but he's just so evangelistic, and he's inspiring evangelism in his church that's just natural. That's right. Uh, or maybe they're in an area that's just inheriting an incredible amount of almost unnatural growth. Yes. You know, yes. demographically, right. geographically. Exactly. exactly. And they're they're just having a lot of people come in, hear the gospel, and come right. So we see that very strategy with a lot of mega churches. and hear me out on this. He had a good pastor who went to a church and he didn't do anything wrong. And in 10 years, the population of his community increased tenfold. Yeah. So he went from 250 to 3,000 just through aggregation, basically. Yep. It was a good church where nothing was bad was going on. He didn't really have an evangelism strategy. A lot of times you'll find they don't, they didn't baptize a lot of people during that time. They did some more than average, but. Uh, a lot of it was just that, uh, I mean, the population was growing around them so fast. And, and, I mean, I can take you to church after church after church. There's there's one constant with megachurches, one constant, population. Hmm, interesting. You just can't hardly point to a megachurch. You cannot have 10,000 people coming to your church if you don't have 10,000 people somewhere around your church. Right. And normally what you see, a church running 10,000 is a community of a million. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of these guys that would be the anomaly, those those situations are very yeah. much anomalous. He, he he doesn't have a great evangel. He's 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 evangelistic. Mm-hmm. Now don't don't misunderstand that. But he's just throwing th- things at the wall to see what sticks. He doesn't really have a strategy for right, it. Right, right, right. And the population is so large around him, they're just going to come. But back to the number. I mean, that's a big number. Seventy eight. Seventy eight percent is a big. I, I felt like that was a. Um, significant number yeah you need you need to understand if you're going to be a growing church reaching people nor it's normative for you to have a very clear strategy yes that's exactly the great thing in georgia you got one it's (laughs) it's perfect and and again if you come up with nine things good luck to you i can't come up with nine no six i come up with six but if they're on the calendar yeah then yeah it's i mean you have a strategy yeah absolutely you have a strategy all right so, so honestly, Scott, if I was a Georgia church, I'd write the six things down on a legal pad, mm-hmm. and then I'd I'd leave about a paragraph, four lines in between them. Then I'd scribble out what I wanted to do under each one, and then I'd put each one on the calendar, and then you're done. Just yep. you know, form your committees or teams yep. to do those things, or get with your staff to do those things. And I just promise you, you're going to baptize more people doing that. There's just no way you can't. Hey, absolutely, it's yeah. And we've proven that over and over again, over again. Mm-hmm. So. We talked about uh, leadership of the pastor. We talked about the longevity of the pastor. Mm-hmm. We talked about how the pastor is strategic. He's intentional. Um, what are some other things that maybe rose to the top? That- well, the other big one that rose to the top as far as an evergreen principle was that the top evangelistic churches are really, 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 really good at the Sunday morning experience. Okay. Um, and it just, it, I mean, it, it shot to the top. And I wasn't... at I ask a lot of Sunday morning experience questions, but I just didn't expect to see it as much as I did. And so so I believe, there are people that argue with this, but I believe there's two forms of evangelism. There's the go and tell and the come and see. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the go and tell crowd will knock the come and see crowd. Um, 
but it's it's just it, you can't knock it. There's too much context in Scripture to knock it. Uh, I mean, the 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 woman in John four said went and got all of her friends and said, "Come and see a man that told me all that I did is not this a Christ." There's something about bringing an unbeliever into a worship experience of believers where we are connecting with an Almighty God to see that He's impacting our lives where they hear a clear presentation of the gospel, where they're given an opportunity to respond to that clear presentation of the gospel. Uh, Here's the truth, Scott. 95% of the Southern Baptists will live and die having never led a person to Christ. Mm, mm. If I tell them the only way they can be evangelistic is to win a person to Christ, 95% just tune me out. Now, I was talking with a trainer the other day, Dennis Nunn. Dennis wouldn't mind me sharing this. Dennis said, well, I think we can I think we can increase the 5%. I said, okay, let's just say you enormously moved the needle, enormously moved the needle, and you got the number to 85 and 15. Mm. 15 sharing their faith, 85% still not. There's, you're still leaving 85% of the people in your church out if you tell yeah. them go and tell is the only strategy there is. Wow, wow. Let's just say you we had absolute – Rev- Billy Graham nationwide Holy Ghost revival and you move the number to 50%, which has never been done in the history of the church. Yeah. You're still yeah. leaving 50% out 50%. if you tell them the only way yeah. is to go and tell. There are personality issues involved there. There are you know, introverts. There's just so much involved. So what we discovered was the top evangelistic churches leverage the Sunday morning experience like nobody's business. I can give you some of the things we've we learned 70% give an invitation at the end of the service. Honestly, I'm shocked. The number was that low hmm. 70%, 93%. Again, it's all size categories. Now, now let me ask you about the invitation mm-hmm. uh, specifically an evangelistic invitation. No, any, any, kind any, of any kind of invitation. So, right. so what we see a lot of what we see a few doing are, they don't call this an invitation. It is staff are going to be, cons- uh, uh, Stationed, uh, stationed at, at key points yes. around the building right. and come see them if you'd want to lead to Christ. But again, that's the minority. That's by far the, the majority of top evangelistic churches are given in some sort of invitation. Uh, 93% described worship as lively and celebratory, uh, which is important to hear. Yep. Here's the funniest thing. 95% said their worship was contemporary or blended. Now, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- there was no medium or large-sized church that described their worship as traditional. There were a few of the smaller churches that um, described their church as traditional. Um, hmm. So here's the most amazing thing. Um, over 50% said their worship was Contemporary. Okay. Um, the shocking thing about that, Scott, you've been in this long enough to know this. Ten years ago, you would never have gotten 50% of Southern Baptist Convention to admit their worship was contemporary. To admit it. To admit it. <laughs> right. So it, the line I keep using is Van Halen could be leading worship on Sunday mornings, and we would have described our worship as blended. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Because we just weren't going to say we were contemporary. That ship has sailed. Okay. Mm-hmm. 50% of our churches fastest growing our top evangelistic are out and out contemporary uh then you see 45 and these are general numbers I don't have the numbers right in front of me 45% are are, are blended 5% are traditional 96% intentionally cultivated guest friendly atmosphere 70% of guests come to church as a result of a personal invitation of a member so so then I gave them a text box Scott and I said just tell me the most evangelistic thing your church does what did I forget to ask you that I should have asked you about, basically? Just open forum, just tell me. Here's what we heard. Sunday morning, harvest Sundays, weekend services, Sunday services, Sunday morning worship, Sunday, 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 Sunday. Wow, wow, wow. So they are leveraging Sunday mornings for evangelism, and they're doing it intentionally, and they're creating an atmosphere from the time people pull on the property to the time they exit the property, and then even in the follow-up afterwards, 
the Sunday morning experience has a lot more to do with just the music and preaching, though that is definitely included. But it's everything that happens on Sunday morning. They are in their vision putting themselves in, a shoe, in the shoes of a guest and saying, what do we need to do with someone who doesn't know Christ when they pull on our property? And they're yeah. leveraging Sunday mornings. And they do Harvest Sundays and, and one-day revivals the bigger churches do and those kind of things. But honestly, we just heard Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning. Wow, th- this, is, uh, this is incredible feedback, mm-hmm. incredible uh, results from the survey. Um, you know, we, we're you know, till Jesus comes, we're going to be preaching, uh, you know, six C strategy as a comprehensive evangelism strategy. So I want to say what I'm about to say in light of that. Okay. We, we're we're never going to say, well, now we know this, we're going to ditch personal evangelism training. No, or no, whatever. no, right. Never right. would we say that. Right. But but what you said about the fact that 95 percent of Southern Baptists will never lead anybody to Christ from the time they they're born again to the time they die. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the vast majority of the fastest growing churches, can we just say it a different way, that are the churches that are reaching the most people right. with the gospel. That's right. Okay. They are intentional about making Sunday morning an evangelism tool. Can we can we couch it in those terms? It is a tool to hand to your people right. to say this is one way you can lead somebody to Christ. We want you to bring them to, to church. Right. Now, they may not specifically lead them to Jesus themselves, but they're exposing people to the gospel in these churches. That's right. Reliably, predictably, frequently, every Sunday. Oh, so let me go back and tell you something. I I, I was with two mega churches this past week in California when I spoke there. A lot of the people in the podcast will know. Let me, let me go back and say something about pastor leadership, and then I want to say something about what you just said because it's so. What I'm going to say is going to fit perfectly. Uh, a lot of the church has heard of Erwin McManus, McManus and uh, the Mosaic out in literally Beverly Hills yes. Boulevard. They never baptized more than 100 people in their existence in a year. And so Erwin walked into his staff two years ago, three years ago, and said, we're, we're not as evangelistic, and I'm paraphrasing now, we're not as evangelistic as we ought to be. So I'm talking to a, their senior staff member last week, and they've invited me out to do some research at their church even. Erwin just walked in and said, we're going to change that. We're going to be a place where people come to Christ and people are baptized in our building. The last two years, they've baptized over a 450 people uh, both years. Not total. Wow. Nearly 1,000 people wow. in the last two years. Okay. Actually, it was over 1,000 people in the last two years. The, the reason I tell you that is that's the difference pastoral leadership makes. Erwin yes. walked in and said, we're going to baptize people. So story number one. Story number two I was with a guy named uh, Hal Seed, who pastors a, a mega church is really large by California standards in the San Diego type area, Oceanside, I think is where it is in California. Hal Seed, his staff member, when he started his church plant maybe 20 years ago, I don't remember the exact years, he his first staff member had a degree in marketing. So they started marketing to the community with brochures and flyers and postcards. That staff member has since left the church and formed a little company you may have heard of called Outreach Inc. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So right. a lot of our churches buy materials from Outreach Inc. He, that guy's from, he and Hal Seed are best friends. And, and Hal, he was, in, he was a staff member at Hal's church. Hal believes, here's what he said, there are more people saved on Sundays than any other day in church history. There are more people saved on Sunday morning church hour than any other hour in in church history. So he believes in giving his church members what he calls an elevated excuse to invite people to church. They just will not invite people for a regular old Sunday normally. Hmm. They need an elevated excuse. They need a sermon series on marriage. They gotcha. need a harvest Sunday. They need something going on with a tool in their hand. And in the last two years, their church has seen over 2,000 people come to Christ because he provides elevated excuses Wow! for his members to invite people to church. And that's really all he does. That's the only, That's about it, evangelistically. Yeah. You can check out, he has a blog called pastormentor.com pastormentor.com and check it out okay. but that's how important sunday morning is to him yeah that, yeah. that we're going to elevate evangelism on sunday mornings yeah um 
yeah. see people come to Christ. Yeah, that's a big part of our strategy conference, too, that happens in the fall. We did it for the first time last year. This year, September 28th and 29th at McDonough and Eagles Landing. We're going to be doing that again with Ed Stetz or Tom Clegg. Tom Clegg did a fantastic oh, job last year. You awesome. remember that. Just talking awesome. about the Sunday morning experience and how to optimize yep. that for guests and, um, and, and just be intentional in terms of you know, make you know, like I I keep saying, greasing the skids to the to the altar, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, making it, um, you know, unoffensive and uh, and and positive, in the sense of, you know, uh, having having the right experience in the parking lot, having the right experience in the welcome center, having the right experience in the worship time, so yep. that they can be open and undistracted from the gospel. Man, it's huge to hear that uh, that research uh, come come back now. You, you've got, I'm sure more is going to be coming out of this study and, uh, and you've got other things you're undertaking. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in terms of what's happening at NAM that we need to be kind of having on our radar? We know three circles has taken us by storm. Right. In fact, I was in Florida last week, the Jimmy Scroggins at, at an event, watching him walk through the three circles life conversation guide again, which is a fantastic tool. Uh, anything else we need to be kind of looking at? Yeah, one of the things uh, you need to – a couple areas you probably want to connect with is uh, the SIN conference that's going to be in Nashville this August. Okay. Uh, you're talking about 10,000 Southern Baptists are going to be gathered there. I, I wow. think we already have – I don't – please don't – these are not official numbers. I'm trying to just pull it off the last meeting I was in. But I think there's like maybe almost a 1,000 churches signed up already to be a part of that. And, and now – um, NAM and IMB are going into a really historic partnership. And the reason there needs to be partnership in those areas, and I'm speaking above my pay grade right now, but the, we're seeing the inter- internationalization of America right before our eyes. And so if you go to L.A., uh, it, it is one of the most international cities you will ever find. I mean, when I, when I flew into LAX and then drove south, I mean, the billboards, I don't, I couldn't read the billboards. I mean, there wow. were several languages all over the place on the billboards. But then if you look at Gwinnett County, where we are, uh, 860,000 860, people, 24% of Gwinnett County was born outside the United States. Unbelievable. Yeah. And we're Georgia, man. I mean, is, we are as international. So I today I picked up a Korean friend at the airport. He's staying with us for a few days. We have our choice of Korean restaurants to go to tonight. <laughs> tomorrow, we are taking him to a Korean grocery store, and he's going to cook dinner for us tomorrow night at our house because it's all here. Yes, right here. So there needs to be some form of partnership uh, when church planning, international church planning, local. So now IMB and NAM are partnering at that same conference, so you'll find out how to get involved overseas. You'll find out how to get involved here. It's going to be really a historic conference uh, going on there. Then one of the other areas I'd really suggest, this is one of the points I would have brought up had we had time, and you teach in the 6E, and that is in serving the community, ministry evangelism, those kind of things. Okay. Our Love Loud department at is is excellent. I mean, they are really leading the nation. They are involved in some very national efforts, and they can help your church n- learn and know how to do um, Love Loud-type ministries. Yeah, which is servant evangelism. Servant evangelism, that's right. NAM calls it Love Loud. Mm-hmm. So you can go on the NAM website and just click on Love Loud and find out who to contact there. And those are two things I'd really suggest you be involved. Okay, of. great. Well, how, how can somebody follow you? I know you're putting out information periodically, you know, Twitter account. Yeah, Facebook, yeah so we're, we're going to be taking all this information, Scott, and we're, I'm create, we're creating a blog with it. it. It'll probably be a late summer launch um, where we're going to put out uh, weekly information on – uh, blog post, uh, video interviews, case studies, and maybe podcasts. We're not sure about that yet. Uh, but really, I'm going to take these top evangelistic pastors and I'm going to put them on Zoom and I'm going to do video interviews with them. Uh, occasionally, I'm going to go spend a week at a campus and, and just do a whole full-blown study of that church wow, of what they're great. doing and how they're operating. So we're going to start putting that out, really. So we're going to constantly connect churches uh, with this, I'm not trying to hold on to the information. I'm trying to get it out of my hands and into <laughs> theirs. It just there's a process for me yeah. doing that. That's take taking a little time. I'm flying all over the nation talking about this right now, uh, but I want to start getting it out in that context. 
And so the best thing to do right now is probably follow me on Twitter at Joel Sutherland, S O U T H E R L A N D dot com. Okay. I'll announce on there when it's available. Yep. You can also follow the NAM website on NAM on Twitter, NAM underscore SBC, I think is what it is. Okay. We'll let it out there. And just know this this is not, we'll do this study every two years to get fresh data, fresh information. This year, I plan on uh, surveying the top evangelistic youth churches around the nation. It won't be a thousand because the median youth baptisms are zero. So if we think we're in trouble now, wait 10 years. Wow. Yeah. We're in bad, bad shape. So how do we reach more youth? And so I'm going to do that. And then hopefully somewhere in the middle of all that, I'm going to do church plants, uh, churches that are 10 years old and younger. Okay. That are top evangelistic churches in that arena. What are they doing to launch well and become evangelistic very quickly. Oh, great. Yeah. And boy, so those, all mm. of that's in mm. the pipeline to come out. It'll all be put out at the same place at that blog once it launched. And the blog in all probability be nam.net slash something. Okay. Uh, and yeah. so just follow me on Twitter. Follow Nam on Twitter. We'll get it announced there. Okay. You know, Fantastic. I may even send you, let you send an email out about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you'd be willing to do that. Yeah, definitely. If you're, if you're not on our GBC evangelism, uh, um, Mailing list, the, the way to do that is evangelismga.com forward slash free gift. That's evangelismga.com forward slash free gift. Free gift is all lowercase, all one word. Evangelismga.com forward slash free gift. If you're not on there, get on there. You'll get a free download that you'll really enjoy, and then that'll give you our updates by email as well. And we certainly are going to stay in touch with Joel and, and some of that, that. Because everything that you're doing over there, Joel, ultimately somehow trickles back down and relates to us. Right. And and what we're trying to accomplish in Georgia, and so uh, we appreciate your your work, your effort, and your vision for the local church and evangelism. Really, hey, really do. I'm glad to be a part. Yeah. Well, thanks also for giving us your time today. This has been another episode of Network, where we teach pastors how to cast the net of the gospel. Hopefully, you're a little more effective at that, Pastor. Be intentional about your evangelism. Make the most of that Sunday morning experience. Mobilize your people as you can to do comprehensive evangelism. And, of course, you know that we're online with our strategy, 6estrategy.com. We'll see you out there. Take care. God bless. Thank you, Joel. Hey, thank you. You've been listening to Network, a program dedicated to challenging believers to cast the net of the gospel. Network is a production of the Evangelism Ministries of the Georgia Baptist Convention.